Welcome, folks, to a bonus edition. Maybe we'll call it an express edition of Smith & Jones. Eric Smith, Paul Jones with you. Normally, it's fresh content every Thursday on Sportsnet 590, the fan, and your favorite podcast platform. But we said we're in the midst of the uh, postseason, and we said we would give you the additional content because it's too long waiting an entire week to try and talk about all the storylines and whatnot with all of these series coming at us fast and furious. Heck, since we last did the show the Milwaukee Bucks have been eliminated. We're already into round two, and the Heat go into New York and pick up a big win in game one, and we're awaiting game two of that series. Denver's already up 2-0 on the Suns in the Western Conference. Lots to discuss on this quick edition, this express edition of Smith & Jones. NBA.com's Sean Powell is going to join us in a couple of moments, and we're going to focus a lot on the Warriors and Lakers and also the news that came out on Tuesday regarding Dylan Brooks and his future, or lack thereof, with the Memphis Grizzlies. But Jonesy, seeing as we're going to focus primarily on the West on this Express Edition, anything standing out for you, good, bad, or otherwise, in terms of the East and how you maybe see the Eastern Conference playing out with the two series that are going right now? Well, Philadelphia with a big steal, uh, yeah, you know, in time. game one. And, and that also plants, I think, a little bit of the seed of doubt uh, in, in Boston. I mean, you lose game one at home. You're both pretty well rested, and there's no Joel Embiid. You know, James Harden dials it back to, to the MVP, James Harden, and, and beats you. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see. I'm sure both of them are looking at what's ahead with New York and Miami and thinking, like, hey, if we get past this one, like, we got a real serious shot at the conference finals with Milwaukee out of the way. So... Uh, I'll be interested to see what happens there, and I'll be interested to see if and when he does come back, uh, what he's like, Joel Embiid, because they looked pretty good last night without him. Perfect road win on, on uh, Monday night. Perfect road win by, um, you know, just kind of hanging on, staying close, and stealing it at the end. Yeah, and in the other one, we, we've got uh, the, the road team winning as well with Miami going into New York and picking up the victory there and surviving what looked like could have been potentially a scary injury for Jimmy Butler late in the ballgame, but he was able to finish after his miraculous uh, you know, Game 7 against the Milwaukee Bucks as well uh, and how well he performed in that one. And we saw some vintage Kyle Lowry in Game 1 against the Knicks. So plenty to get into in the Eastern Conference. And again, we'll do that later in the week when we have our regular edition of the show coming out on Thursday. But subscribe to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, and review, and keep it locked in for fresh content coming, as we said, at least twice per week now, right through to the NBA Finals and into free agency as well. But joining us on the line right now, getting set for Game 1 of the Lakers and Warriors from NBA.com veteran writer Sean Powell. Sean, we always appreciate your time, and uh, I know you're covering the Lakers-Warriors series, but you're keeping a keen eye on the rest of the league. And, and aside from the postseason, just want to ask you off the bat because it was news that came out uh, a little bit earlier on Tuesday regarding the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, and I'm not just bringing this up because he's a Canadian guy. I'm bringing it up because he's been sort of like a, a lead dog in the headlines for at least the last week, if not a couple of weeks. But Dylan Brooks, apparently, uh, according to multiple reports, and I believe it was Sham Sharani that, that first came out with it, saying that the Grizzlies have informed pending free agent Dylan Brooks that he will not be back under, quote, any circumstances. Um, I guess, Sean, first of all, your reaction to that for a guy that seemed like, for the most part, up until maybe the chaos of the postseason, an integral part of what they were doing currently, let alone in the future. But 
where's this next step then for a guy that's got a lot of talent on both ends of the floor but maybe has set himself up for, as being a guy that might, I underscore might, come with a lot of baggage as well? Well, you know, teams will put up whatever they have to put up with as long as you're producing. I mean, Dennis Rodman had a very long NBA career for one reason. I mean, he could rebound and play defense. And so, therefore, the Pistons, the Spurs, the Chicago Bulls, Chicago Bulls, the three teams he played for in his prime, then you look you look aside all the, all the rest of the antics and things like that. But the moment you can't produce or the moment your level of play slips, suddenly your behavior is being viewed in another light. And I think this is really what happened here. Dylan Brooks a couple of years ago was a guy who can give you 20 a game, very, very uh, you know, a, a good two-way player, you know, decently efficient from three-point range. But his play has plummeted. And you saw it in full view in the playoffs, particularly in the Lakers series. And once that happens, on top of what you say and you know, the, and your you know your public statements, the whole slander thing, and things like that. I think the Memphis Grizzlies were ready to turn the page. If he was still producing, they would resign him. But once he stopped producing, all of a sudden the Memphis Grizzlies are saying, you know what? This year, behavior-wise, just image-wise, it's not what we wanted. We want to make a change, and so I think that's one the main reason why Dylan Brooks is gone. He just didn't produce anymore. So, Sean, what comes next? We see players get to a point in their career. Sometimes it's a veteran who is in his late, in the late stages, in the twilight, where they suddenly acquiesce to whatever I need to do to A, stay in the league, or B, if you're of a different caliber, win a championship. I'll take on a new role. I'll do that. Is Dylan Brooks coming to that point is this a a watershed moment in his career do you feel that way where you know another team might take him on and say all right maybe your production's down maybe you can get that back but we don't want any of the baggage that comes with it well when players are put in a position where they want to save their careers they're liable to do anything i mean look at how many players like the, the carmelo anthony's of the world who are out of the nba and desperate to get back in. I mean, when you really think about it, these guys have worked their entire lives to get to this level, and when they get a taste of that, that first-class travel, playing before packed houses, multi-million dollar salaries and whatnot, oh, man, it becomes addictive. They want that. So I think in this situation, I think Dylan Books will look look, look in the mirror and ask himself, whatever I have to do to resume my career, that's what I'm going to do. As far as the team looking at him, look, he's an NBA player. I mean, you know, even though his three-point shooting was down in the playoffs and, you know, he just really couldn't get anything going offensively, uh, he's an NBA player. He, he, he belongs in somebody's rotation. I do think, however, however, he has very little leverage. See, that's the thing. And I think teams might say, okay, you know what? We'll lowball you for a two- or three-year contract, or we'll just give you one year and force you to prove yourself. I can see one of those two things happen, happening with Dylan Brooks next season. Uh, I, I expect maybe two or three, four teams, whatever, might have some interest in him. But those teams will have to have a strong locker room as well. You know, where, the, you know, the Memphis Grizzlies didn't have that veteran, who, that P.J. Tucker type who will, you know, keep guys in line. And that was one of their downfalls this year. I think Dylan Brooks, whatever team he goes to, They've got to have that veteran prop, uh, presence to keep him in line. 
Hey, Sean, last one for me on this topic. I don't know if you want to keep it there as well or, or, or move on, Jonesy, but I, I'm wondering, Sean, um, when we look ahead to the summertime, there's no guarantee that he will be on the team, let alone if he even wants to play. But it's a different game. It's it's a much shorter, condensed, uh, you know, uh, uh, quote-unquote season in the tournament that is uh, the World Cup. But do you think that if Dylan Brooks were to suit up for Canada and go show himself in a different light, uh, albeit in, un, under a different spotlight, and, and, and kind of prove himself that way? Or do you think that, you know, before that even rolls around, he would have a deal done with – you know, X team and the World Cup might not even make a difference. Yeah, you know, because of the timing of it all, I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference. Like, if, you know, if the World Cup was going on like now, for example, well before right. free agency, maybe, you know, where teams will have something to go on. But I think by then, teams will pretty much have made up their mind. You know, rosters are virtually set by, what, the middle of August? Going, certainly yeah. going yeah. into training camp. So, yeah, all mysteries are solved well before then. Sean, uh, we know you're uh, out on the left coast right now covering, going to cover the Western Conference uh, semifinal between the Lakers and the Warriors. Um, I, I can ask you this because I know you have a perspective on it, uh, knowing that you, you've been covering the league for quite some time. Is this a legacy-type series for LeBron and Steph going against one another? I mean, the winner gets a chance to go for title number five. Uh, you're still behind Jordan, but you're still behind Russell. Uh, but, you know, you're the lead dog, supposedly, on number five, and that would put you ahead of Shaq. It would tie you with Kobe. Um, and and I, I don't think Steph gets enough traction as a great player of his generation. Yes, we talk about it, but th that performance Sunday, it had – people look at him in a different light. Is this a legacy series for those two guys? Well, Jonesy, I can certainly understand why you would, would say that for all the reasons you mentioned. I mean, once you start compiling championships, all of a sudden you thrust yourself into all-time conversation. And, you know, both those guys are greedy. Uh, they want as many championships as they can. That's the only reason why they really play at this point. I mean, they're wealthy, you know, all that stuff. They're uh, members of the 75th anniversary uh, All-NBA team. So, yeah, I mean, the, the, the more championships, the better. But on the other hand, uh, I would probably think this series, really in the big picture, probably means the least compared to the other series. The other series, those were in the NBA Finals. And yeah. the winner was guaranteed a championship. The winner here is not even guaranteed to get to the NBA Finals. So, um, and I don't think any of those two players, when you really think about it, have all that much to prove. Steph Curry is game's greatest shooter, multiple MVP. Uh, you know, probably when he's done playing, he's still in his prime. He's still shooting. Well, uh, so uh, probably go down to perhaps an all-time top ten all-time, and with LeBron James and upset. I mean, it's really him and uh, Michael Jordan in the conversation for greatest player ever. Uh, yeah, the, an additional championship would would de definitely strengthen whatever uh, whatever water cooler talk or debate it is for these guys. But I think they go into this series pretty comfortable, pretty. Um, what can I say, satisfied where they sit in the NBA hierarchy, where they stand mm -hmm. 
in NBA history. And I think because of that, I think they'll go into this series, you know, pretty loose uh, compared to, you know, playing against each other in four straight NBA finals. Who you got, hey, Sean? Sean uh, yeah, go, go ahead, Jonesy. Sorry, I just want to ask, who you got? Oh, Jonesy, why would you ask me that question? Put me on the Come on, man. You, man. Come on, man. You know, you know what we do. Well, you know what? I tell you what. Uh, for the NBA, I write for the NBA's website and for NBA.com, my prediction, I had the Warriors in six. But I reserve the right, guys. I reserve the right to waffle, to backtrack, whatever, whatever you want to use to describe my cowardice. If, like, for example, the Lakers uh, are one game away from, eliminate, from eliminating the Warriors. Can, can I have that, that courtesy? Yes, we'll give it to you. We'll give it to you. I appreciate it. Hey, Eric's, Sean, Eric's, listen, Eric's listen, been you, giving you, you, it to you, me for 20 years, right, E? You've been giving me that for 20 exactly. years. Exactly. Waffle. Well, I was going to say, you both can get in line behind me because I had the Bucks over the Suns in the final, so I was, I'm was i looking like a real big idiot right now. So clearly I didn't know what the heck I was talking about. Um, Sean, as I was thinking about this question, I, I was I was, I was was going to ask you purely from a Golden State standpoint, and then as it was going through my brain, I'm thinking, man, I guess this kind of technically could apply to the Lakers. So in a very long-winded way, let me ask you this. If if Golden State were to win this series, and, and, and I'm, I'm definitely putting the cart well ahead of, of, of the horse here, but if Golden State were to go on a run, potentially win another championship, if Los Angeles were to go on a run, potentially win another championship, do you think this impacts the short, let alone long-term thinking for the structure of either franchise? Because I, like, I look at Golden State, and you do have a couple of young pieces already in Kaminga and Moody and Poole. They're there. You know, are they good enough to be that next wave? But then I look at Los Angeles and think of LeBron's age, his contract status, his kid coming into the league soon enough. He's already said he's going to play with his kid. I don't know if that's going to be in Los Angeles. So if one of these teams were to win, does that change what the organizations might do with their, as I say, short and long-term thinking? Hey, that is a great question. Uh, I suspect of the two teams, the one team that's probably going to make changes, I would say would be the Golden State Warriors. Uh, mm. Consider this with, with the Lakers. The pieces they added, they just got them by the trade deadline. So they haven't had a training camp. They haven't really fully meshed. You know, they're, they're just you know, two months away from introducing themselves to each other. And they play pretty well. And also the young players, you know, the Austin Reeves of the world, really Hachimura, they've got upside. So I don't think the Lakers are going to toss those guys aside. I mean, I think they like what, what they brought to the table. I think both of those players are in line for extensions, and they're going to get them. Uh, as far as the Warriors, however, you know, Draymond Green has an option for next season, and I don't think the Warriors are going to extend him uh, this summer. Uh, I think they're going to tell Draymond, hey, man, we appreciate you, but we're going to wait till the summer of 2024 before we decide to uh, extend our relationship if we do that. If they wanted to extend, to, to extend uh, Draymond, they would have done it already. All right? So, and then the other thing is Jordan Poole. I think he's trade bait. I, I, I think if they, you know, this is a really a, a short sample size. But he's been disappointing this season. He's been up and down, very inconsistent, and he just signed a long-term extension. And I think if the Warriors feel that they can get some decent quality for him, I think they'd ship him. Uh, as far as the other, the Moses Moody's of the world and everything, I mean, they're just rotational players. I don't think any of them have superstar written all over them. So the bottom line is this. And, oh, one, one other thing, 
is that, uh, you know, Bob Myers, the general manager, his contract is up. He may not be back. So the bottom line is that I think of the two teams that will play against each other in this very anticipated Western Conference semifinals, you know, if they go and win it all, whatever, I think the Warriors, more than the Lakers, are more likely to be broken up. Mm-hmm. Interesting, Sean. I, 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 I kind of tend to agree with you there. Um, I, I'm looking at, I'm looking at um, the series as, as a whole. And when I look at it, do you think – I mean, Denver looks really good right now, but all they've really done is hold home court. But I'm thinking about matchups. How does this how does this matchup work with Golden State and the Lakers? Golden State's got their kind of style of play. If they can, I, my feeling is if they can get the Lakers to play their style, and you know maybe get some of the wrong people handling the ball, the way we used to watch Steve Nash led Suns do it. I mean, to your point, Sean, I think this is a Golden State series. Pushed me more towards that decision. And and this is kind of unexpected, this this occurrence, is uh, Kevon Looney and the way he played uh, against the Sacramento Kings and against uh, DeMontis Sabonis. Uh, I wasn't expecting that. I wasn't expecting this guy to put up Will Chamberlain type rebounding numbers, you know, and he did it four times, four games. He had twenty or more rebounds. Now it's a different animal. Now you, when you're asking him to guard Anthony Davis, Anthony Davis can take him out on the perimeter a little bit more, and you know Sabonis couldn't do that. Uh, Sabonis was just a bull in a china shop trying to force his way to the hoop. Anthony Davis, on the other hand, he can stretch him, and so he takes uh, Looney away from the basket. But I think, again, uh, you know, I think Looney is going to play well uh, against the Lakers. Probably not as good as he did against the Kings, but I think he's going to play well. And when you look at guys, you know, like Jordan Poole, he can only play better. I mean, you would think that he's got a good series left in him. Steph is going to be Steph. Clay is a little more inconsistent than what we've seen from Clay prior to the injury, but he's still capable of dropping, you know, 25 points. And finally, one other thing. You know, the deeper the Lakers get into the postseason, the more they're asking, you know, you know, guys like Hachimura and Rees and a few other guys to shine bright when, uh, when the lights are getting brighter. And you, won't, you really want to know uh, how much more they have to give the deeper the Lakers go and the pressure gets turned up just a little bit more. Last one for me, Sean. Um... I'm looking. I just. I know you're covering that the Golden State Lakers series, but I know you're you're watching Kevin Durant uh, in Game Two in Denver. For the first time, I sat there and I said, "You know what? He's not." There are times in the game when he wasn't really a factor. He was. He was um, deferring to Devin Booker. Mind you, it's it's Booker's been there longer. It's probably more like quote his team, but. I just felt that that wasn't the Kevin Durant that they felt they traded for when they made the deal. Hey, Jonesy, you and I must have been sitting together, man, for worlds apart, because I was thinking the exact same thing. I was like, you know, I kept waiting. Okay, KD missed a couple shots, but he's going to pour it on in the third quarter. Okay, he didn't have a great throw. He's going to pour it on in the fourth quarter. And it never really happened. And 
I'm, the more I see him pulling up for that jump shot and it's hitting back iron, hitting, you know, hitting the backboard and everything, I'm like, what is this? I don't think I've seen that type of KD in a long, long time, particularly in the postseason. I don't know if I've ever, ever seen that, that type of KD. Uh, as far as him deferring to Booker, uh, KD is probably the most adaptable superstar that I've certainly ever seen because he doesn't require a lot of shots. His, his ego is not such, you know, it's going to be my team and everything. You saw that with him when he played against the Warriors and Steph. They got along well. You saw them in Brooklyn uh, with, um, with Kyrie Irving. They got along well. You saw it to an extent in Oklahoma City. And I know that the, the relationship, that the relationship faltered uh, uh, late, but for the most part, he and Westbrook got along pretty well on the court. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, you know, I'm watching this game and I'm, and I'm, I'm seeing him misfire. And I don't want this to creep in my head, but I'm thinking, has KD finally crept really close to the edge you know, where he starts to, that downfall in his career? I mean, everybody hits it, you know, certain people, certain players earlier than others, but everybody, everybody hits it. And when I just saw this, I'm thinking, well, I'm going to wait till this series is over before I make that kind of decision. He has earned that right to have a bad game, you know, given all he's met in his career. But I got to see this over an entire series before I make that that leap and say, you know what? I think the Phoenix Suns, I don't know. I, they're, they're not going to get the best of KD. Well, and he's going to have a chance potentially to, to have to step up a little bit more, I guess, guys, right? If Depending on the status of the groin yeah. of Chris Paul. I mean, that might thrust KD into more action whether he wants to or not. So, uh, Sean, listen, we appreciate the time as always. Thanks for taking time with us today and uh, enjoy the uh, the L.A. Golden State Series. That was Sean Powell from NBA.com, veteran NBA writer. Always appreciate his time. And, Jonesy, maybe just to kind of follow up on the point I was making there at the end, we don't yet know the status of Chris Paul uh, and the groin, at least at the time that we're uh, having this conversation. Um, but even if he's hobbled, you got to assume he, he's not going to be playing at 100%. And, man, oh, man, talk about a guy, and pardon the bad pun here, that's hamstrung. I know it's the groin, not the hamstring, but he has just been delivered, you know, curveball after curveball, blow after blow when it comes to his uh, luck or lack thereof in the postseason. Yeah, uh, and there it is again, right? What's he knew, known for? getting hurt at key times in the postseason, and it's yeah. it's terrible. Um, you know, his his legacy is out there as one of the greatest point guards maybe in NBA history, but, uh, it you know, there are some people that feel that. I, I don't feel that way, uh, but it would certainly verify um, his status with a championship, and he's getting older. They've got more help in Kevin Durant, and now he's unable to play. Um, and... You know, I, I watched that game, too, and the Nuggets kept playing that drop coverage with Jokic, and you need a guy like Chris Paul who can turn the corner and make a decision or go at that big guy and make him pay. And I just thought Phoenix was unable, without Chris Paul, was unable to take advantage of that. We'll have to see if Monty Williams, you know, puts Kevin Durant as the ball handler in there, who's another king of the mid-range, or Devin Booker and starts trying to go at Jokic and, and, and do something because, I mean, they, they didn't score 100 points in game two. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Phoenix, needs, Phoenix needs to clean that up, and it's too bad they don't have Chris Paul. Um, we'll, we'll give people a little taste of the, uh, the little chat that we were having, texting back and forth, especially late in the ballgame. Uh, two points. One, 
I'm surprised that Phoenix isn't playing Terrence Ross. You got a guy that's a, a proven scorer and shooter. They need some shooting, especially in that game too. They were horrendous from from three. Why you wouldn't have put Terrence Ross on the floor? A guy who scored 50 plus in this league and been a scorer for a heck of a long time, let alone his athleticism that he still has. I don't know why he's not playing. But on the flip side, and and you are carrying the torch more so than me, but you've dragged me along and, and brought me with you. For a guy that flails and flops and barely plays D and can barely lift his feet, you know, two inches off the ground when he's when he's walking, let alone running, the dude Jokic is still putting up monster numbers. And on a night where he's putting up monster numbers, but Jamal Murray's struggling, Denver is, as you just said, holding Phoenix to under 100 points and almost making it look easy in the fourth quarter. Like it, it, it to me defies logic at times what Denver is able to do. And I don't know if it speaks to just their depth overall or uh, the balance that they have, whatever it is, in spite of their flaws or struggles, they continue to roll as they have not only all season but for a couple of seasons now. Yeah, no, I, I, I look, I give Jokic credit. He's the hub. He's the hub of the wheel. He's, he's all the spokes attached to him. And in game one, it was Jamal Murray. In game two, they got really good play from uh, – KCP, Contavious Caldwell-Pope. Like, if your main guy is going and you can kind of keep getting another guy to join the party, then that's fine. And that's what they're doing right now. And again, Durant had an off night. No Chris Paul. Uh, I, I, I still think this is a long series. Uh, but, um, you know, I, I give, I've always given Denver credit because the rest of the guys have made up for the deficiencies in Jokic's defense. I mean, he's a great rebounder because he's standing around the 10 and he's seven feet. But defensively, they've made up for it. The other guys, you know, you talk about, you know, Jeff Green and, and, you know, KCP and, uh, you know, Christian Brown, Bruce Brown, all these other people, they make up for it. They do stuff that makes it easier on him. And Jokic can really kind of concentrate on his rebounding. His offense is just terrific to watch. I mean, it, it, it really is. You have to, you know, marvel at a guy that is just that smart. Because, like you said, he's not jumping over a, a piece of toast, but he gets it done on the offensive end. Well, we kept it to the Western Conference, folks, for this express edition of Smith & Jones, this bonus edition of Smith & Jones. But we have our regular pod coming out on Thursday where it will be even longer uh, we'll get into it even more, and we'll certainly focus on the Eastern Conference for that next edition as well. But in the meantime, make sure you are subscribed to Smith & Jones wherever you get your podcast. Download, subscribe, rate, review, and share. We will keep pumping up the content for you right up until the end of the NBA playoffs and then into the uh, draft and free agency as well. So keep it tuned right here on Sportsnet 590 The Fan and your favorite podcast platform. All the best.